Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we're going to be discussing food and the empath, how certain foods may affect you and in the ways that some empaths use food to deflect or absorb all the emotions that we empaths feel. So some empaths, especially those who aren't really in touch with the fact that they are an empath, that they are actually picking up on other people's emotions and energy, may use food as a way of shielding or protecting themselves from all the excess energy they feel, which can lead to weight issues and sometimes in the extreme even food addiction. Food does ground our energy, but as with anything in life when done to excess, it causes numerous issues. So I think this is a pretty important topic for us to cover, Denise, because we all have to eat food. And as empaths, we all feel a lot of energy. And so I think bringing an awareness to what we're feeling, how we're feeling, and how it's relating to the food we're eating is really important. And this has been coming up a lot for more and more people is, why can't I lose this weight? Why am I so much heavier? I've talked to a lot of other mediums about this that, you know, that you'll, they'll talk about that you'll, you'll protect your solar plexus, you'll protect your gut, you'll put on this extra weight as an emotional barrier. And there's science behind this, but there's also for, for many of us who, and I, I, this, is, this is my episode, I nailed the test, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, if food was ever used as a reward system. So, you know, I can remember this vividly being the kid, my riding with my mother and she said oh you seem let's go get a cone everything was like you know an ice cream cone let's get it was feeding that as a reward system or you know the emotional connection with family time and eating or you know the safe thing that one thing we might have been able to control or not control in our lives was what we ate or what we didn't eat so the other extreme to this is some empaths may have I don't like the word eating disorders. I don't like that. But, you know, problems with over-regulating how much food they, they bring in uh, or, or trying to control that. So I think this is a fantastic episode to explore this. Well, sure, because empaths will look to food um, as a source of comfort or protection or stress relief or if they're feeling exhausted or just to subconsciously protect their energy. I mean, we've all seen on the news the phrase quarantine 15, because a lot of people are experiencing weight gain as they're sitting at home and anxious and wondering what's coming up next. But I came across a quiz um, in Dr. Judith Orloff's book, The Empath's Survival Guide, and it's a quiz she put together to determine if you are a food empath. So it's a really quick one. So just you know, take this quiz along with my voice and see how many you answer yes to. Do you overeat when you are emotionally overwhelmed? Do you turn to sugar, carbs, and junk food to self-soothe discomfort? Are you highly sensitive to the effect food has on your body? Do you get mood swings, brain fog, or feel toxic from sugar, caffeine, sodas, or junk food? Do you have food allergies and intolerances such as gluten or soy? Do you feel more protected from stress when you are heavy? Do you feel energized by healthy, clean food? Are you sensitive to preservatives or gluten in food? Do you feel more vulnerable to stress when you are thin? She writes that if you answered yes to one to three statements, then you may have some tendencies toward being a food empath. 
However, four to six yes answers indicates you have moderate tendencies to be a food empath, and more than six yeses shows you are definitely a food empath who uses food to self-medicate stress and discomfort. So I, I think the key as you listen to those questions and might be thinking, oh, I think I did answer yes to some of those. Awareness is what we all need to bring our focus to. Awareness of what, when, and how you're eating and starting to notice triggers that make you crave either sweets or carbs. So pay attention to your body and tune in and ask yourself, am I really hungry or do I just want this brownie or this bowl of mac and cheese? Don't you think sometimes, Denise, when we get really stressed or overwhelmed, we don't want to take that minute to pause and ask that question? Oh, very much so. I'm trying to pay more attention to what am I craving? Because, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot as well, how our bodies are a barometer and, and when we pay attention, the mind-body connection and the fact that food is, is such a trigger for, for some of us or many of us. But if you're really craving something, I'm starting to pay attention. Does my body need this? Do I need the nutrients in this? And sometimes if I'm craving a piece of chocolate cake, I'm learning, eat the piece of chocolate cake, enjoy it, savor it, put it to rest, so that you don't start eating every other damn thing known to man, trying to fill that hole because you really just want that piece of cake. Right, right. Mindfulness while eating. Yes, exactly. And also not beating yourself up if you choose to. And I do, I respect the hell out of people that are able to be, and I've done it before. I got to the point where no preservatives, no anything, and was going to the gym and was very fit and very healthy. And, you know, you eat something and it's like, oh, I can't even eat this stuff anymore. And then you can, just just for everyone's information, you can wean yourself back onto crappy food really easily <laughs> if you choose. <laughs> There's hope. <laughs> there is. You don't, you can, no matter how good. But I, I think, again, moderation. Unless you have obviously have a health issue, and, and we're not dietitians, we're not nutritionists, we're talking about it from an empathic point of view, from a sensitive person point of view of how food may or may not impact your, your system and your um, quality of life. There's a scene from one of my favorite movies called Chocolat with Johnny Depp, and mm -hmm. it's about this little town in France, and this woman comes and she opens up a chocolate store. And the mayor is super religious and it's during Lent and you're supposed to give up sweets during Lent. So he's trying to shut her down and it shows him throughout the whole movie depriving himself of everything he wants, whether it's love or food or sweets. And finally, one night right before Lent ends, he breaks into her store and he eats every bit of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and she finds him passed out like in this broken open chocolate statue of the goddess Venus. And it's so symbolic because denial doesn't work. No. And that's not going to help a food empath. And I think you're right. Moderation is the key. And even just to me though, in the beginning of being aware that you are an empath and paying attention to the fact that foods do affect your body and that moods do affect the types of food you are craving at that moment. Sometimes just that is enough. So even as you're digging into the ice cream brownie sundae, knowing it's not good for you, just being aware, well, I'm using this to soothe my anxiety right now, and that's just fine. I'm just going to deal with it in this moment. Just starting to be honest with yourself and aware what you're doing, why you're doing it, 
and how these different moods are making you feel. I, I think that's the first step. And a lot of people overlook that and they jump right to the quick fix diet right. or the new keto plan when really you've got to get to the root of that issue. It's like pulling a weed in a garden. If you don't get it from the root, it's going to come right back. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on this, but I also I want to throw that again. If you are if you're beating yourself up the whole time you're eating something that you really want to have and saying, oh, I'm filling the blank, I'm weak, I'm this, I'm that, why am I, this is all going to land in my, my hips, well, then maybe re revisiting that and saying, this is so delicious. And I, one of the things that I've started doing, I started it years ago, is it's not really saying grace, but I, I try to make a practice of, of saying thank you for this nutritious and delicious food to feed my body, my mind, and my spirit, and how grateful I am to have this abundance in my life. And it really just taking a second, whether it's a traditional grace, whether it's a thank you, whether it's acknowledging what you're putting into your mouth, brings exactly what you said a few minutes ago, that mindfulness back to, I deserve to, to feed myself delicious food, nutritious food, healthy things. And I mean, some I've talked to quite a few that have followed uh, Anthony Williams, the medical medium, and his connection with, with how food impacts people's lives is very fascinating to read about. And how, you know, certain foods are, are good for medicinal reasons, similar, and I'm sure there are, because I, that goes back to the cravings. Sometimes, do you ever get that feeling where you're just craving a certain, like an orange, or you really, really want some broccoli or you really want some kale salad or you want a cookie, whatever it might be. But when it, when it is healthy and nutritious fruits, vegetables, grains, I think that's your body's way of saying, please pay attention to me. I need this. You know, I'm a big fruit eater. I have to have fruit every day. And when I eat it, I can feel it going through my body. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like I feel this flush of energy that I can feel it in my shoulders. I can feel it in my arms. I can feel it in my legs. It's like that energy of that fruit goes all through me. I don't feel that when I bite into a hamburger or a French fry or a brownie. But when I eat fruit, I don't feel it as much with vegetables, but I, I always feel it with fresh fruit. See, that's an interesting point because people will say foods vibrate at different frequencies. So is that matching your vibrational level? And I know that's a little airy-fairy woo-woo, but if everything's, if fruits are living things, if you're matching, if something in your system matches that vibration of what you're eating and that's why you get that kind of a feeling from it. Yeah, I, that it really could be. Now, in, in Dr. Judith Orloff's book on, you know, Food and the Empath, the section from her Empath Survival Guide, she said that it's so important for us more than anyone else to drink so much water because that will flush out some of that excess energy that we're picking up through our day. And I do think that's really important. And you might not like to drink. I know a lot of people who don't like to drink water. Do you know people like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I kind of, I'm not a big, like I don't drink the tap water in my town. That's a whole nother story, but it's, it's no good. So I do buy um, a water system and I love sparkling water. So it just experiment with different types of water. I know that might sound silly, but tap water tastes different than spring water, tastes different than seltzer water, tastes different than, you know, any bottled water. And so you might want to just experiment and find the water that's right for you or flavor your water or drink tea. 
but having that fresh water flushing out the excess energy in your system is going to help so much. Maintaining good breathing is so important. And again, you guys might be thinking, okay, well, we all breathe and we all drink water. But if you follow a proper type of breathing, the, the belly prana breathing, where you are mindfully, consciously bringing deep breaths of oxygen into your belly, and there's different types of breaths you can do. You know, you can inhale for a count of seven, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of eight. There's different types of breaths. There's a great app I use a lot called Breathly. It's free and it walks you through different types of breaths that are good for different things in your life. Like there's one for calming yourself down. There's one for filling yourself with energy. There's one for anxiety. There's one for meditation. So that might be a good app if you're, if you're not sure if you're breathing right. Again, doesn't that find, feel overwhelming sometimes, Denise? Now I got to worry if I'm breathing right. But don't you find if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or reaching for the bag of cookies or whatever, that if you do take a minute and do some deep breathing, it kind of recenters yourself? Yes. And it also reminds me of how out of touch I am with my body throughout the day in many ways. Because when I do stop to take deep breaths, my shoulders relax, my jaw unclenches, and I think I didn't know my shoulders were tense. I want to jump back to the water for a minute. And it, that's a, a standard joke here in the house is that, you know, oh, I'm dragging a limb. My arm is amputated and I can't breathe. Well, did, have you drinking enough water? So we'll always go back to because it, it is. And it's amazing if you're feeling foggy, like cognitively foggy. If you're feeling um, your joints are really tight, a lot of times it, it's lubrication as well. And I know that sounds silly, but drinking enough water is going to help with brain clarity. It's going to help with your mobility and stiffness because it's causing, it, it's the fluidity of it, but it does really, really make a difference. And this is totally mine. I'm not, this isn't the show. This isn't Samantha. This is me. Please, please consider using uh, some kind of a filter for your water rather than buying individual plastic bottles just because um, that's my environmental impact statement and it's something I feel very passionately about. And I understand there are circumstances where you can't, especially during this COVID, but if you do have a, a Brita filter or a pure filter, you can put the thing on your, it really, really makes a huge difference. Um, and it's economically so, so much better. You'd be amazed how much cheaper it is to do it that way. Well, or if like in my town, they're literally the water company is being sued right now. Wow. And there are three women in my neighborhood. We all got breast cancer before the age of 40. Like Aaron Brockovich has come to our town. It's wow. Not, so I have the whole Culligan water system. People come to my house and then we just use refillable glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, uh, and I, I think that just whatever your comfort and awareness is, I just would feel like I was being disrespectful to myself not to put that out there, that if you have the opportunity to, to use a system that's re, re, renewable or reusable. And also be really care, careful if you're someone that refills like a, a plastic oh, bottle. Oh, okay. Ooh, like the ones that you get, the one-use bottles you get, if you refill that with your own water, it just just do a little Google on that because it can really, um, there's some sickness involved with it at times. Good points. All good points. Okay. So 
you have to also start to monitor how you feel throughout your day with the way you are interacting with food. So most of us have been raised to eat three main meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But some empaths do better when they eat six smaller protein-rich meals throughout the day. And so just start to experiment if you did score a lot of yeses on the food empath quiz with how you're interacting with food. I don't do well with three big meals a day. I do much better with one big meal a day, and then I kind of graze throughout the day. I'm not a big food. I don't really like food. I don't like to cook food. I'm not like, I, I don't, I've never understood the whole concept of like foodie. I wish I was, but I prefer, like, I, I love my fruit smoothies. I love my protein smoothies, salads, fruits, nuts. I'm like, my mom has always called me a little bird. Like I just, I love to graze all day. And then I like to come together with the family and make a big meal for an early dinner. Like we eat around five or six in my house because you know, I, I do so much yoga. And if you read a lot about yoga, you're, it's so much better to go to sleep on an empty stomach. So I try so not to eat late in the night. There was a book that came out, a whole program that came out a few years ago. It was called The Hunter-Farmer Diet. And it explained that, that exactly what you're saying, but also that some people do well. They won't, they'll get up in the morning and they'll have to eat. They'll have to eat when they first get up. They'll have to balance it throughout the day. And other people can eat just one big meal and then graze. And it really, it's, it's worth uh, doing a little read on because you may, it may help you find more clarity on what you align with because one of my sons fell in one category and one didn't. And he, my one that didn't, was in the separate. So one was a hunter, one was a farmer. And it even goes into different foods you may crave, what are better for your body type, all those things. But it always troubled me that I think it was the, I can't remember which was which right now, but one of my sons wouldn't want to eat until like he could go most of the day. And then all of a sudden he'd just gorge on this big meal. And it used to make me, oh, he needs to eat breakfast. He's not eating enough. He needs to eat after the day. It's just not his body chemistry. That's me. So, I can't eat for at least the first two hours after I wake up. I can have like hot tea or water or really that's it. And wow. Then I'll have like a, a bowl of, I love a bowl of warm oatmeal with walnuts chopped up in it. That's like my favorite breakfast. Or I'll have a fruit smoothie. My mom always made me eat breakfast before school and I would go to school feeling nauseous. It makes me feel, I don't, like a full stomach is really hard for me. We are so different in some ways. <laughs> because, oh, anyway, and I mean that with love and compassion because I, I do tend towards more the foodie and what, not to the point of where, I mean, I have friends who read cookbooks like they're novels. They will, or they'll call very excited about, oh my, did you see the grocery store had this, this special, and they'll, they're beyond excited. And I love that folks who will plan, oh, well, you're talking to them at seven in the morning and well, tonight for dinner, I'm having this. And I love that because it's passionate, it's warm, but I, I do, I, sadly, I do love food and I love to eat and it's not a sadly, it's a, it's a good, just, no, just I used to love is. all of that. I mean, I, when I was first married and when I first had kids, I would plan out all my meals on Sunday and I go to the grocery store Monday and I really enjoyed it. I think when you're a mom with a big family, Cooking three meals a day every single day with hardly a day off, it just gets boring after a while. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I'm not so into my cookbooks anymore. It's just Groundhog's Day type stuff. 
Right. Or when kids are small, what will they eat? What will they not eat? Are there, and again, more and more people having food allergies. And I was thinking about this. What was it? Oh, I went to get a jar of peanut butter off the shelf. And I got a flash memory of this summer camp where there was a child coming to the summer camp that had a peanut allergy. So they sent out notice to all the other parents that were going, that children would be going to this camp and said, they can't have any peanut butter in their snacks. They can't have any peanuts. They can't have anything because this child's sensitivity is so high that there just can't even be any of that anywhere in the camp. And I thought, what has shifted with us? Because peanut allergies were never a big thing years ago. I don't ever remember growing up and having the level of allergies that people have now. And my mother and I used to talk about this is when they added the preservatives to the food. Did that shift things? Now, my my brother was ADHD before anybody knew what it was. So we all went on the fine gold diet when he was in elementary school. He's four years younger than it's uh, no additives, no preservatives, no food coloring, nothing. And so that was would have been when he, he's, uh, as I mentioned, four years younger. So he was in elementary school. So this would have been in the um, 70s, I guess. And it was really, you, you make your own bread. You don't, you, you have everything you're so aware of, but it was that very natural food. And you can see that now with, when we uh, raised beef years ago, my mother came to visit and she tasted it. And she says, oh, this tastes like the food, the meat used to take when I was a kid. So when they started shifting and adding all the preservatives and food colorings and additives to things, and that was one of the things on the list, are you sensitive to that? You have to wonder, did that trigger something with, with allergies or with sensitivities that we might not have had before? It had to have. I mean, you can't put all that nonsense in food and have it not affect most people. Some of that nonsense is so delicious, though. It is. All <laughs> <Cool> M&Ms. <laughs> oh, my favorite. Well, remember that slumber party I was telling you about I had before the quarantine? And I woke up early in the morning and I made bacon and eggs and biscuits and muffins and a fruit salad. And one girl was like, I'm vegetarian. And the other said, I'm gluten-free. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And the other one couldn't eat sugar. And I was like, I don't know what to serve. So, yeah, I definitely think that that is increasing among our younger generation. And you know what? Maybe some of us had it, too. And we just, you know, our parents, at least my mom, would be like, you've got a tummy ache. Go to school. You'll be fine. So maybe more of us had it that we didn't. That's true. I don't know. So experimenting with how you interact with food, you know, do you feel better when you skip breakfast do you feel better when you start off with a big breakfast? Do you feel better? A lot of people say your biggest meal of the day should be lunch, not dinner. So start to play with how you feel around different ways of interacting with food throughout your day. Keep in mind, Denise and I are not doctors, dietitians, nurses. <laughs> this is just our metaphysical, spiritual perspective on food and the empath. But please always check with your doctor and your dietitian. Just had to say that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who work with empaths also say that we are more susceptible to effects from sugar, which I found that hard to read, Denise, because that is my one weakness. 
I love sugar. And I've worked really hard to limit it from my body. And it's hard. I had to wean off from it very slowly. I'm not a rule follower. So to just pull something out of my diet, I had to rebel against that. But I had to wean myself off of it slowly. And I still have sugar. I just try to use sugar substitutes now. So I'll try to work with dates or honey, or I'll try to work with um, a natural sugar sweetener. And I do still allow myself to bake brownies or cookies from time to time. I just don't do it on a weekly basis like I used to. There was a book long, long time ago called Sugar Blues. And it was, I was working night shift. And then after we uh, night shift in a nursing home, and we would go out to breakfast after we got off work. And I remember after reading that book, I didn't want any form of sugar because it was talking about the toxicity, how it affects you. Now, I noticed that I do, if I eat too much sugar, it, it impacts my arthritis terribly. It impacts my range of motion. Uh, I'll have my mood swings be more, but I have a horrific, horrific sweet tooth. Horrific. I did, um, what was the big one years ago? It's kind of keto is based on it. No, oh, South Beach. Yeah. Oh, South Beach, which is like Atkins. And you wean yourself off. You don't eat any fruit. You don't eat anything that has any sugar in it whatsoever for the first, I think, two weeks. And for the first time in my life, I didn't crave sweets. And when I took a bite of something sweet, it was almost too much. But again, it's really easy to just ease back into that. And then before you know it, there's a box of Little Debbie's just waving at you. (laughs) So... Uh, but I, I agree with that one 100% of even if you're able to cut back on the sugar and, okay, let's go to the metaphysical side of that. Are you lacking sweetness in your life? Are you wanting to fill that emotional void? Are you feeling lonely? Are you, because sweet often will bring us, when we're having those feelings, a lot of us will reach for the sweets, the carbs, the foods that are comfort foods. Yeah, I would love to see a study done of people raised with one narcissistic parent if they tend to be sweetaholics. Wow. I wonder if there's a correlation. Now, I had a weird quirk when I was growing up. My parents cooked meat every night when I was a kid. Every night there was meat and potato type meals. And I did not like meat as a child. And I begged for years to be a vegetarian, but it just wasn't going to happen in my family. And every time I ate meat, I felt kind of sick. And I noticed that if I was able to have sugar before the meat, I didn't feel sick. Huh. And it got to the point, I'm sure I was a difficult child to raise, but it got to the point where my parents finally relented and they let me have like a handful of M&Ms or a half of a Snickers or even an instant carnation breakfast shake before I would eat the steak or the chicken or the cheeseburger they were serving. They would let me have a little bit of sugar. I I don't know if they recognized that I wasn't sick to my stomach as much after or what, but I literally argued my way into getting dessert before the meal. Isn't that a a weird thing? My sisters still talk about it. But that on some level, you knew I have to eat this so that I can eat that. Right. So my palate will be filled with preservatives. So I I don't know. It was really, really strange. I do wish that more parents would listen to their kids, you know, and and when they do ask to be vegetarians, I know it's hard. One of my kids went through that for about a year. She would not eat any form of meat. And it was hard because my other two wanted to eat meat. 
And so I had to cook different things and be creative. But I think it's important to honor what our children are telling us. If you're at all able to find the, the cleanest meats you can. And that's, that's what's really hard is I was in the And expensive. It, it's, it's so ridiculously expensive. We only have meat like twice a month in my family because not because I'm so, uh, I don't know, honorable. I always pray for the animal soul. I do do that. But when I did give up meat, I had to go on iron pills. Like my immune, it was bad. My doctor was like, you're the type of person you need a little bit of meat in your body. Mm -hmm. And so I just have it like twice a month. And it's, it's mainly because I don't, I don't like eating meat. I could be a vegetarian tomorrow, but my kids do. But also it's so expensive to get the organically grown, the farm raised. Right. The grass fed, the, yeah. yes, yes, that's true. So, but if you're, sometimes if you watch, they'll have deals or, and I feel like there's more, more options are coming up in traditional grocery stores for foods that are less processed. That's true. And that's a good thing. Deb turned me on to a local farm where they raise their own chickens and you can order your food that way. And it's mm -hmm. very ethical and they're very humanely treated and it is very expensive, but you can tell from the texture and the taste, it's, it's uh, quite eye-opening. Well, that's, I did broilers for years. I raised chickens for years and it was, but it was very ethical and they were free range and had quality of life. And I had a, they're called chicken tractors where you, you can move it around so that they can eat the bugs and the grubs and be in the grass. And then you move it around and they'll go to another part of you and you don't need a whole huge space for them. But what really, really, you're spot on with the texture of the meat, but what really got me was the texture, the color, and the consistency of the livers. And, you know, because that's a filtration system, it's like you're eating a completely different type of food. So it's just amazing to me the different, if you do have the opportunity to get farm-raised or if you, it, it's, not, it's not very hard to raise some chickens. You amaze me. You really have and could, again, live off the grid. Yes. And actually, I was looking at that the other day. And I, I was thinking, do so I really want to go back to this in my life? I don't know. I'm not thinking so. But, but it's nice to know you can if you have to. Heck, yeah. Did you know that in Italy, they actually have a society called, I think it's called the Slow Cookers or the Slow yes. Society? Yes, I've read about that. I think that's so neat. And, and if you read about that society and, and what they propose and what they believe is good, it's all about making the eating of a meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, a ritual where you are with family, you're with friends, you're not eating at the breakfast counter, you're not eating at the couch in front of a TV, you are coming together as a group and slowly and mindfully going through your courses and eating each, each part of your meal. You're not just shoveling it in without even thinking to yourself, am I full? Does this taste good? Have I had enough? And I think, I don't know that we can all do that every night of the week, but I do think it's important to make a ritual around that. Even if you live alone, don't, don't put the TV on while you're eating. Bring a book or a magazine so that you, or just sit alone with your meal and just, mindfully taste the food and make all of your senses aware of what you are partaking in. I think that's really, really important. It goes back to that control part. 
and truly slowing down and savoring it, taking your time rather than opening your throat like a boa constrictor and just throwing food in makes a huge, huge difference because you get full more quickly. It's better for your digestion. It also, it builds that mindfulness relation and it's the consciousness of eating. It's not just, you start thinking about it. If you take, and I've been working on this again, is taking smaller bites because I do, I eat a lot of, I eat alone a lot because I'm alone. <laughs> and, and you, uh, being aware of that is huge. Huge. Yeah, huge, I huge. think so too. You know what I wish would take off like a rocket in our society? Healthy fast food places. Oh, Yes. Because that's my hard thing when I do travel on the road with my family. I always pack a cooler of sandwiches and snacks and, you know, drinks and things so that we don't have to stop at fast food places. But then I forget about the way back. You know, like you drive to this place, you stay in the hotel, and then I forget about the drive home. And then inevitably we'll stop at a fast food place. And I always think, wouldn't it be so nice if there were healthy options. I know mm -hmm. some of the fast food places now have healthy salads, but then you look at, I don't know, you look at like the, the salad dressings are like a thousand calories or they put, you know, fried onion rings in the salad. It's, it's, you got to work to get a healthy meal on the road. And I think it'd be so great if there were just drive through places where you could get a truly healthy salad or a, a healthy sandwich. No, some food, food empaths have had a lot of success with the food diary. Have you ever tried that, writing down everything you eat? I have, and it scared the shit out of me. I have yeah, to be I honest. <laughs> I've always wanted to do that with food and money. Just write down everything I spend and write and down everything too. I eat. But I never have the time to focus on that. It, it's an excellent both. both. I've, I've done both of those, and they're, they're incredible ways to make you be honest with yourself about what's really what you're really putting in your mouth or what you're really taking out of your wallet it for self-regulation for it, it does it, and a lot of dietitians will ask you to do that or nutritionists they'll say write down everything you eat for three days or everything for a week and when you start saying oh oh my goodness at three like my my bad bad time of the day to to binge eat is late afternoon late afternoon is when i am more apt to grab stuff that I, I'm, I get it. I like don't know if it's a, five. Yeah. If I get a blood sugar crash or, or whatever it might be and I won't, my logic goes right out the window and I'll think, Oh no, this looks delicious and I'm going to eat it now. And it's in my, and I'll just, that's my mindless eating time. I so, probably eat as many calories as there are in a brownie sundae and nuts because when I get that crashy feeling between three and five, that's when I reached for like walnuts, pecans, cashews, and they say they're healthy for you, but, you know. They are. They are very healthy for you. But then healthy. again, if, you, if you're eating uh, a portion or you're eating portion for 18 people, that's my problem. It's like, oh, this is so good. I better have another. Well, the thing about tracking your food is that it not only forces you to be honest with yourself, but I would think it would help you to recognize patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, when I have a really mean customer at work, I tend to reach for mashed potatoes or mac and cheese. Or when my boss goes off on me, I tend to reach for a candy bar or a brownie. So you're starting to recognize, oh, I go for comfort when people are, you know, yelling at me and I go for sweetness when people are mean to me. And you can start to recognize the patterns of the foods you're choosing and why you're choosing them. 
I'd like to add, if you're in a business where you're working with people one-on-one, -on -one, because that is something I've been paying attention to these last several weeks, is there's been people are, are in, as we've said over and over, this is an interesting time to be on the planet. But I found after very intense readings, my first response is to head for food. And, and, it's, um, and some, there's, people are going through a lot right now. So what I had gotten into the habit of before is, you know, having cut up fruit or having a salad made ready for lunch so that it was there and waiting for me. So if I went to go reach for something, I might have some cut up watermelon or I might have, you know, some, some cherries or, or something ready so that after the reading or if you're working in a high stress environment to get your food ready ahead of time is really, really um, a wonderful preemptive strike against overeating or eating stuff you may not really want to put in your body. You know what helps with that for me is warming my belly. So oh. having a nice hot cup of chai tea. So I get that natural sweetness, but I'm also warming my belly. To me, it's a good way to ground your energy in a, in a safer, you know, less calorie rich way. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah, I think that just being mindful of, am I eating to feel grounded? Am I eating to feel safe? Am I eating for sweetness? Now, a lot of dietitians suggest taking a three-minute pause before reaching for that trigger food so that you spend this three minutes breathing deeply, meditating, being mindful, and asking yourself, you know, is this really what I'm craving right now? Or is my body asking for something else? Right. Or they'll say, drink a glass of water and see if you still want it. Yes. Uh, that's another good one. And there are people who say put the fork down in between every bite so that you'll pace yourself so you're not Mike Mulligan in the steam shovel. <laughs> you know, skipping meals is never a good idea for empaths because we really need to keep our energy fueled. But overeating can bring our energy down and it can leave us open to picking up too much energy around us. So again, it's moderation. I think it's also important to look at where you tend to gain weight as well. A lot of intuitive sensitives and empaths do tend to gain weight around their stomach. And a lot of people believe this is a subconscious way of protecting and shielding the solar plexus chakra. This is where our clairsentience is stored, our ability to really feel and sense energy. It's why we say things like, I feel that in my gut. And so a lot of people, if you are a food empath, tend to put weight on in the stomach and it's a protection thing. And so if you start to focus on other ways to protect your energy, like setting boundaries and saying no or wearing a certain crystal for protection or shielding yourself every day and night, that can start to tell your body, mind and soul, we don't need this weight here to protect us. I've got it. I've got it covered. And also it's good to look at where your food comes from. Because we empaths, we can pick up on energy of all of that. So as we were saying before, look at where your food is sourced. I have a large agate plate and a small selenite plate in my kitchen. And one thing I do is I'll often place my meals on these plates to charge them. I'll do Reiki symbols over them. I always try to say a prayer of gratitude, especially if we're eating meat. Uh, to the animal who sacrificed its life for the meal. But I always try to say a prayer, like you were saying, Denise, of just mindfully being grateful that we have food to eat. Mm -hmm. I try to check in, read labels, and eat locally sourced food as much as my budget allows. So just being mindful of where your food is coming and doing some research on, on the company that's producing it, I think is extra important for empaths. I agree. 
and and those are all things that we can do and even if you are taking care of a family just my, my rule for so many things in life is just because you can doesn't mean you should so that if you put out food that the rest of your family is eating and you know you eat that certain food it's going to cause a physical mental or spiritual reaction for you don't eat the food but everyone else in your family may have it but it's not deprivation it, it's self-care right right and putting yourself first which is sacred selfishness and it's not in some certain instances, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just foreign to many empaths. <laughs> so I think that empaths also need to schedule a lot of alone time into their day. And when I say a lot, I don't mean like you got to shut the door to your family or your work for like three hours. I just mean little moments throughout the day when you're able to be on your own and just decompress. We need sunlight a lot. We need, we need to get out in the sun. We need to let the sun into our homes and into our office. If you're stuck in a gray cubicle and you don't have any windows in your office, it's really important to take a 10-minute walk on your lunch break just to get that sunlight in every day. Vitamin D is so important for all of us, but especially for empaths. I mean, you don't have to join a gym or you know, run a 5K in order to be a healthy food empath. But moving your body every day is really important. So whether that's stretches or yoga or tai chi or qigong or just a gentle walk around your neighborhood, just moving your body every day is going to help you process that excess energy and let it go. And if you talk to people who are still active in their 80s, 90s, one thing that I've noticed they all have in common is that they don't just sit around all day. They will get up, they'll move, they'll stretch, they'll walk, they'll go check the mail. Very, And these are people who are, one of the most impressive things I saw in my life was this woman, she was about, I don't know, she must have been late 70s. And I saw her chopping wood and I thought, holy shit, I want to be her when I'm that age. I want to still have that vitality and strength and stubbornness to be able to do that kind of physical work and because I think when you do, you hit that cusp where you either keep going and keep pushing yourself or you start to atrophy. Yeah. And that can happen very easily. Now, I think I'm the only one of my friends who doesn't have an Apple Watch, but those or Fitbits can help a lot with this. I was at my book club a couple of weeks ago and one of the women just jumped up and started walking around the room. And I was like, what's wrong? Did you lose something? And she said, no, no, my watch just notified me. I haven't moved in an hour. Mm-hmm. I thought that's so great. Like it'll actually buzz or ding or something and tell you, lady, you got to move. Yeah. I have a really basic one because I, I exactly what we're talking about. I wasn't moving enough. So I thought I have to get back to doing my 10,000 steps. I have to do, and you can hook it up with your phone. So it'll keep track of it. You can put in different activities. This is a very basic one of the, the thin ones. It's a Garmin. It's not a big, it doesn't do everything but have a little person that jumps out and hands me a cup of coffee. It's very, but it does get me to uh, pay attention. And sometimes towards the end of the day, I'll say, oh, and I'm, I'm not hitting my steps, but I'm, I'm building them back up because I've noticed the days where I'm doing readings back to back all day and I don't move enough. And I'll look at this and then I'll say, okay, I'm going to take the dog for a little bit of a longer walk now. So it's a great tool. And they're not that expensive. You can find some really basic ones that aren't expensive. But it does. It gives a little like, and it's like, oh, I need to move a little bit or stand up or stretch. Or 
it's just nice to have that reminder too because especially if you're working in front of a computer or at a desk you can lose track of the hours mm -hmm. now i just want to say something too denise because having worked over a yoga studio for years with a lot of very healthy people i i do think it's important if you are on that health path i think that's amazing and wonderful However, I think many, many people on that path tend to judge others who aren't. Right. And they'll, you know, educate them. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's helpful or needed here. You know, so if, if you have eliminated sugar from your life and you see someone put a packet of sugar in their, in their coffee, they don't need a lecture. No, how, who has ever learned from being judged or lectured? Well... And I, I've shared this with some people that I've talked with recently that, I don't know, a little while back, I woke up one day and I was feeling less than positive about my physical, you know, things shift as you, as you age and the weight and this and that. And then literally what I said to myself was like, damn it, Denise, you can eat whatever you want. You can walk for miles with your dog. You sleep really well at night. You're not on any medication. Be grateful for that. Be grateful. And why are you letting other people's opinions or definitions about what you're supposed to look like? And then it hit me. as like, damn, imagine if I had figured this out 10, 20, 30 years ago, how different my life would have been. So that self-acceptance and gratitude of what your body is doing for you. And if, or, you know, you may have a physical limitation or ailment or sickness that, you, your, your gratitude, you'd give anything to have that back. So if you're in a place where your, your biggest concern is, you know, I, I put on a little too much weight or whatever, please, please find a way to just say, oh my God, I am so lucky that, and, and whatever that might be, because it really does help bring it into perspective for everything that we're talking about right now. Well, how often have you felt awful about the way you look and then 10 years later you find a photo of yourself and you're like oh I didn't look so bad oh let's just not go there okay okay <laughs> I'll tell you something I I did this is an example of how I do think you can fake it till you make it after having three kids in four years my body was not looking the way I wanted it to look and I would look at my stomach and think what the heck is happening here and so I started when I was in the shower and I was, you know, soaping myself up, I would send love to every part I was cleaning. So I would say thank you to my legs for moving and walking me. And I'd say thank you to my arms for allowing me to hold my babies. And, and I would spend extra special amount of time on my stomach and say thank you for, you know, holding and, and growing my babies. It, it helped me get through that shock of mm -hmm. how your body shifts after having children and it reminded me of what you're just saying, even though I didn't feel it. I wasn't looking at my stomach going, wow, look at this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's got to be even harder for young mothers today. I look at, I look at all these women on social media who, who post their post baby bods on, on their Instagram six weeks after. And I don't know. I did not have those images when I was having kids. Now I think these young moms are surrounded with it and it's got to make them feel like, if they can do it, why can't I? That's why I love Sarah Jessica Parker did a whole article and she was like, I only look this way because I have a team of people. I have a dietitian. I have a chef. I have a yoga instructor. I have a fitness instructor. And I was so proud of her for saying that. That's huge. 
That is huge. And it's important to just focus on what is beautiful about yourself and your body and, and just to not judge anyone else for where they are on their path. Right. I also think it's important to just take note of who you're hanging out with and how they're making you feel. Because as empaths, sometimes, most often, it's the other people who are our food triggers. And so if there is a friend who tends to bring you down a lot, or if there is a coworker who's always gossiping or complaining or whining or dropping all his or her problems at your door, you might want to shift some of those relationships where you're not interacting with them on a daily level. And just notice if that could be one of your food triggers. Check in with yourself several times a day and ask yourself, is this mood or emotion mine or is it someone else's? That mindfulness is going to help you. And then practice with different foods and see which ones make you feel really good and which ones tend to weigh you down or cause digestive issues. Like, did you know one of my friends is on this really big health kick? Like, she's becoming a raw foodist. Mm Mm-hmm which I can't imagine, but she looks great. She feels great. And it's fascinating to listen to her process. She said that all people after a certain age become semi-lactose intolerant. Oh. I don't know if that's true, but I have noticed that just in the last like five years, I can't eat ice cream or uh, sour cream or cheeses the way I used to. My stomach gets kind of queasy. Oh. So pay attention, even if foods that you've eaten your whole life and felt fine with, maybe now at different stages of your life, it's reacting with you differently. And so you might want to just make note of that. Some people feel better if they stop eating after 6 p.m. Others enjoy eating six really small meals throughout the day rather than three larger ones. And so you just start to look at how you're eating foods and how they're interacting not only with your body, but with your emotions and your general overall well-being as, in, as well. And just uh, truly savoring the food and being grateful. that. And sometimes I'll walk through the grocery store and it'll just hit me and I'll say, oh, we are so blessed to have all of this abundance and these choices because there are so many people that don't. So just keep that in, in mind as well, how lucky we are that we our concern is that we have too much or that we can have six meals a day. There's a, I think it's the Catholic church that does this. I'm not sure. Or there's a church. They do the, the rice project. Oh, the rice bowl project. Yeah. Yes. Where, you know, they eat one, is it one cup of rice? Yes. I'm I'm not sure of the whole thing. I I worked with a man that did it years ago. it's on Fridays. Right. And you just, just so that you know what it's like for people in other parts of the world. And you take the money you would have spent on the other food and donate it to food places. You know, I, I got to listen to the, one of the men who wrote when God grew tired of us Mm -hmm. about the, the boys, um, is it in the Sudan, the Sudanese? I'm not sure. I need to look that up. They came to America and the first time he saw a grocery store, he fell to his knees and cried. Yeah, because he had never seen that much food. And that, that has always stayed with me. So you're right. We have to be grateful that we are so blessed. Um, but if you, do, if you are dealing with a food addiction, I do think it's important to seek help. I remember when my dad first got what, involved with AA, and I was saying to him at his first anniversary, and he, you know, he got his first chip, and I was like, Daddy, I'm so proud of you. And, 
And he said, you know, he said, it's, it's definitely been hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. He said, but right after my AA meeting is an OA meeting, you know, over Eaters Anonymous. And he said, my heart really goes out to them because I can avoid bars. I can avoid liquor stores. How do you avoid food? Right. And I, and I, so I do think that's, that's really a difficult uh, challenge that some people have to deal with. And I don't think people can deal with that alone. It's just my opinion. So when I was doing research for this show, Denise, I came across something that I'd heard about many times, but I never looked into called the Ayurvedic diet. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic? I, I usually say Ayurvedic, but... That's it, Ayurvedic. All right, sorry about that. Ayurvedic. It's a way of eating that focuses on balancing different energies in your body. It's been around for about 5,000 years, and it is said to balance both your mind and your body. It's based on this belief that there are five elements that make up our world, earth, air, water, fire, and space. And these five elements form three different doshas, which are different types of energies that circulate within the body. So you can go online, and we'll post a link on our Facebook page. You can take a quiz and figure out which dosha your body is operating under. So PETA controls hunger, for example, thirst and body temperature. The Vata dosha governs electrolytes and movement, and the Kapha dosha deals with joints. So I just found this really interesting. I've never worked with this before, but when I took the quiz, I was a Vita, and everything they said in terms of what food was good for me and was not good for me was already food I already liked and didn't like. It matched up perfectly. It's very fascinating. And there are people who are able to structure their lives around this and do very, very well, very well with their, with their food intake and, and their overall health. Well, if you take the quiz, you can pause and take the quiz and then come back. But I just want to tell you guys a little bit about what these different doshas look like. And maybe you can even figure out from their descriptions what you are. People who score high and are PETA people are smart, hardworking, and decisive. They tend to have a medium physical build, short temper, often deal with indigestion, heart disease, or high blood pressure. When they are in balance, the pita dosha is joyful and happy, but when out of balance, they can be quick-tempered and overbearing. They can get bitter about things pretty easily when they're feeling unbalanced. Vata people are creative, energetic, and busy. They're usually thin with a light frame and may struggle with digestive issues, fatigue, or anxiety when their dosha is out of balance. They can be moody, impulsive, and super enthusiastic and passionate. They communicate easily and are often are seen as always on the go, always moving. They're described as alert, restless, and active. They tend to be cold-natured and do best in mild climates. Frequent travel, loud noises, chaotic environments are not good for them. Vatidoshas have a hard time staying grounded, and while they will resist it, they need a consistent routine to feel safe and balanced. And then finally, Kapha individuals are patient, calm, grounded, and loyal. They tend to have a sturdier frame and often suffer with weight gain, asthma, depression, or diabetes. They tend to gain weight easily. Kapha people are described as sturdy, heavy, and strong. They are loving, very patient, caring, and they forgive others easily. On the negative side, when a Kapha is out of balance, they can become codependent, overly attached, or jealous. So in terms of food, 
PETA people need to eat food that is cold or cold in temperature and feels energizing, while it's suggested that they avoid or limit their intake of nuts and seeds. Chicken, broccoli, egg whites, coconut are good choices for PETA people, but they might want to limit spinach, sour fruit, and some types of seafood. PETA people do best with a vegetarian diet and feel really good when they limit meat, eggs, alcohol, and caffeine. It's recommended that they avoid eating when they feel angry and should tend to avoid or limit coffee, black tea, and cigarettes. They need to work on their competitiveness. They enjoy being warm and do better in hot climates. Summer is their favorite season, and they should exercise in the coolest part of the day. If you scored high on the VADA quiz, VADA people should eat warm, mushy foods like oatmeal, porridge, soups, and rices, while limiting dried fruits, raw veggies, and bitter herbs. They do well with dairy, beef, and rice, but potatoes, yogurt, and raw apples might not sit well with them. They also feel best when they participate in mild exercise like gentle yoga, tai chi, or walking, and it's recommended they go to bed early. They're very flexible people. They can see both sides of a situation, but they need to work on overcoming their anxious, overthinking, and overworking tendencies. Their favorite season tends to be the fall or the times when seasons are changing. They do best with three or four small meals throughout the day and should focus on one-pot meals like soups, stews, and casseroles. Now, CAFA individuals, they do well with a diet heavy in fresh fruits and vegetables while limiting heavier foods like oils, nuts, and seeds. It's recommended they eat shrimp, turkey, cottage cheese, and granola while limiting cooked oats, sweet veggies, or fruits and wheat. CAFA people need to learn the difference between being nice and being taken advantage of. It's important for them to be around loving, supportive people. They also need to avoid laziness and feel best when there's time for quiet activities like meditation and writing. Going to bed early and waking up early helps keep the kapha dosha in balance, but daytime naps are not recommended. It's also recommended that they avoid all sweets and look to limiting natural sweeteners like honey too. They feel more balanced when their routine is varied, when they get daily exercise and avoid tendencies to just sit. Kaphas need to encourage themselves to move more and get out to connect with others who are kind and supportive. So isn't that fascinating, Denise, that it brings in not only foods, but the type of climate and season and the routine and the sleep schedule you need? And I also love that it's 5,000 years old, so there's some validity to this, and that it's another thing that is aligning with the elements, which is the natural, the earth, air, water, fire, and, and space is the fifth one for this. But it seems like that's coming up in so many aspects. You and I both love history and both love that it's cyclical and we're coming back to realizing if we pay attention to this, it's been, I, I just think it's fascinating as all out. I do too. And it just proves that everything really is connected. Mm -hmm. The weather, the people, the food, the environment, it's all connected and it all affects, especially us empaths, and we need to maintain an awareness of it and really seek to have connections that fuel us rather than drain us. Well, we hope this has been helpful for you guys and informative. I'm sure we probably got a few things wrong because as we said before, we are not dietitians. but what I hope this has done is just made you guys think about 
the way being an empath affects you not only mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, but physically as well. So we look forward to checking back with you guys next week. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.